Legacy City, good to be here with you all this morning. I have been looking forward to this um, ever since uh, Robbie asked me to come back and, uh, you know, just one more time, uh, how how thankful I am for each and every one of you. I know you may not feel like you have a big part. You know, maybe you haven't uh, begun praying for us yet. We ask you to. Uh, we covet your prayers. Uh, but maybe you're one of the ones that hopped on our prayer network like, I don't know, like a year ago or something like that. And actually, I think it was a little longer than that. Some of uh, many of you from this church, uh, when you guys were still meeting in the house, uh, you signed up for our prayer network. And we just like that just means so much to us because we would not be um, signing the lease to the elementary school we'll be meeting in starting August 11th. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have a launch date. So like that's one of the ways, you know, it's going to happen. Um, you, know, you set the date and we're about six months out from that. We're signing the lease and launching this new group. And I mean, without your prayer, without the prayers of hundreds of others from all over the U.S. who are partnering with us, um, we would not be where we're at without prayer. So thank you for that. Let's turn our Bibles to John 4. We're going to talk about uh, the Samaritan woman passage this morning, but the title of my message is Speak Up. Everybody say, Speak Up. All right. I, w- I want to encourage you today to speak up, no matter what your personality type is, your Enneagram type, if you're into that stuff, your Myers-Briggs, whatever, um, no matter where you land, introvert, extrovert, uh, quiet, shy, loud, proud, tell it like it is, whatever, uh, wherever, wherever you fall in that, God gave you voice for a reason. He created everything that we see around us in the entire universe from his what? From his voice, his word. He spoke everything into creation. So words have creative and destructive power. But God showed us initially the the God plan for words is that there would be creative power. And so you have a voice box, you have a mouth, you have a voice for a reason. And oftentimes, if you will just uh, give the Lord your heart in this, uh, he will be your voice. It's the same thing with Moses, right? Moses said, Lord, I can't speak up. There's just all these issues, all these problems. And God reminded him, hey, it's, it's me that created your mouth. Actually, I'm going to be the power. You think you're the power. That's, that, that's why you're not speaking up right now. And that's why I fail to speak up in those moments because I think it depends on me. It actually depends on God. And if we'll just trust him, then we will see that he'll move. And let me just give you this big idea this morning. If you just want to write this down, this is what I want you to leave with. This is like the, the, uh, you know, the ultimate big idea this morning, and it's this, that Jesus shows us in John chapter 4, Jesus shows us the power of words in bringing the outcast into the family of God. Jesus shows us the power of words in bringing the outcast into the family of God because that's what it's all about. It's all about the gospel. It's all about inviting those who are far from God to come to him and those who are near God to go seek those who are far from God and bring him and bring them into the family of God. Amen. Lord, we just pray that this time would be yours. Again, God, thank you for moving already. Thank you for this worship team, for this entire church, and for the voices and the prayers. And Lord, we have prepared our hearts to look upon your word and uh, just have you transform us by the renewal of our minds uh, in your word. So God, would you do that now? Would you have your way, Holy Spirit, in this message time in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. Well, we're going to dive right in, but I want to I start with this. Um, did you know some new research has been done? And it has been revealed that, uh, you know, just, just this year that 2% of evangelical Christians invited someone to church last year. 2%. It's among different denominations, things like that. 2% invited someone to church. It is even less than that, the percentage. It's actually less than 1% that shared their faith with anyone last year in any kind of way. 
extensive or in, in, in a micro moment. And that's not meant to guilt anyone in here this morning or, you know, take my Bible and just smack you over the head or anything like that. I'm not, you know, that's not my job to convict this morning. It's the Holy Spirit's job, and he does a great job at it because he's Lord and God. And he speaks to our hearts, and he will. But I hope that that, that can kind of wake us up this morning into this topic of speaking up and into seeing that, um, that not only is that the case, but, uh, but let me share one more stat with you brand new uh, research from the Barna Group uh, that does a lot of research and writes a lot of books on different things. Uh, Barna Group just came out with research that said that, uh, that 50% of millennials, of the millennial generation, a lot's been written on them lately, 50% of the millennial generation, which will now become the largest generation in existence, they will replace the boomers very soon, 50% of millennials say that it is not a good idea to share your faith with anyone. And actually, it's a little worse than that. 50% of millennial Christians say that evangelism is not important. And furthermore, like I said, that we should not evangelize at all. Because it is cruel, intolerant, and hateful to tell someone else that their worldview is wrong. And so that's where we stand. That's where we stand in 2019. With half of the really the upcoming generation of leaders now in the, in the church, the 20 and 30-somethings that would be the largest generation, now say that evangelism is not important. I, I saw this in Starbucks the other day. I saw a young woman who is a, a seminary student at Candler uh, Seminary at Emory University. She's graduating now. Again, I saw her a year ago. She's having a terrible day. I was able to pray with her, give her a gift card, just encourage her in, you know, in Christ. You know, she shared some of her story with me. We saw her a year later. You know, and we spoke for a moment. Said, "Yeah, I'm about to graduate. I'm really excited. Thank you for praying for me last year. Yeah, you know, how are things going?" She said, "Good, but uh, you know, now that I'm graduating, I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to do with evangelism." And she just brought this up, and this is what I'm speaking on. You know, and I'm just like, "What do you mean?" She said, "I just don't think I'm going to share my faith with anyone. I just don't think that's important. This is an upcoming pastor in another denomination that's going to lead a church." And I said, um, I said, un- unpack that a little bit for me. She said, uh, she said that very thing. It is hateful. It is hateful to 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 bring my faith to someone else that doesn't agree with me, and tell them that there's another truth other than their own. And we talked for a moment, and God gave me an opportunity to kind of um, to speak some truth into her life and do it in a gracious way. And I want to talk to you about that more because what do you do when those moments come? When you have an opportunity to speak up and your heart is overcome with fear, uh, fear of different things, maybe even anger in those moments, we're going to unpack that this morning. So really five main ways that Jesus encourages us. But can we just read the passage real quick? Uh, John 4, 4 through 26. Let's just breeze through this. Jesus and the Samaritan woman, starting in verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. That's noon, our time. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman from Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you that living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one that you have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say it is in Jerusalem. Sorry, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Five ways that Jesus blows our minds with speaking up this morning in this passage. And the first way is that Jesus encourages us to speak humbly to speak humbly. So write that down if you're taking notes this morning, to speak humbly. You know, Jesus was fully human and fully God. This is a major doctrine in the field of Christology, the study of, you know, things about Jesus that we need to notice to help us get to know our Lord. It's called in the uh, theological circles, the hypostatic union, how he can be fully God and fully man and how that even makes sense. And you know what? It kind of doesn't make sense when you really study. It's like, how can both these things be true? This is what I love about our God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's not totally understandable. We can't just put him in this little theological box, uh, even though we do systematic study, and that's, and that's a good thing. Um, it still blows our minds how that can be true. But in this passage, we really see the, the humanity of Jesus. Check out the, the, the passage again in the, in the first few verses. He had to pass through Samaria. He comes to Sychar, and he's wearied from his journey sitting beside the well. Did you get that? Jesus was tired. Jesus allowed himself to be tired, hungry, frustrated, to experience the very same things that we experience because Hebrews 4 actually says that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He gets it. He's been through some stuff. He's seen it. He's suffered. So that way, guys, that's the best part about Christianity versus other religions that we know that our God has come, walked this earth, and suffered as we have yet without sin. He was tempted just as we are yet without sin. It's amazing to watch sinless God in human flesh ask a sinful and immoral human being for a drink of water. Don't miss that this morning. Don't miss the gravity of that. 
He asked her for a drink. He requests a drink. So this is what Jesus did. Don't miss this. Jesus humbled himself with the ultimate purpose to communicate the gospel. I'll say it again. He humbled himself with the ultimate purpose to communicate the gospel. That was the whole point, the whole reason why he spoke in humility. Speaking humbly means admitting our need, and this is what Jesus does. He admits his need. He starts at a place of need. Instead of uh, what, what happens a lot with uh, the way that Christians speak to an unbelieving world in a secular environment, is we tell people their need, which is important, and Jesus goes there, but where's the starting point? With our need. Guys, look, I'm going to deliver some truth to you, but you got to understand, I need this every day. I'm not exempt. I'm a sinner in need of grace. And this is where we start. We've got to start in a place of humility when speaking to our world. So admitting our need, even our weaknesses, you know, people will often resonate more with your weaknesses than your strengths. They will often resonate with your shortcomings and your failures rather than your victory stories. So share those, but share what God has done in those. Don't just share how you failed. Share how you failed and God restored it. A posture of humility says to the outcast, we have common ground. We have common ground. We're both in need. Not only did Jesus express a need, but here's what he does. He shows us a total and utter refusal to conform to the social dysfunctions of the time. Because here's what's happening. Men did not even speak to their wives in public in this context. Did you know that? Even if you were married, you didn't address your wife in public. Can you imagine? Not only that, a rabbi would never speak to a woman, period. In a one-on-one setting, let alone, and to top it off, a Samaritan. So Jesus is doing something quite scandalous here that would cause people to turn their head and go, man, is this guy legit? Look at him. Look who he's talking to. Look who he's hanging with. And people even accuse Jesus of things. They accuse him of being a glutton, a drunkard, and such. You know that Jesus never let social and spiritual barriers keep him from speaking to anyone, especially the outcast around him. He never let social and spiritual barriers keep him from doing what's right. Watch the world take notice of true biblical humility. They will respond the same way as the Samaritan woman did with questions. What's up with that? Why do you, why do, you do that? And Jesus wasn't afraid of questions, and neither should we. We should never be hesitant to receive questions of all kind from a world who's curious about the why, and you're probably here this morning, uh, and you have some questions about Christianity. You are in the right place. You have come to a church in Greenwood, South Carolina, that is not afraid of questions, because God is not afraid of your questions. And if you are a skeptic here this morning, if you're like, man, I'm still kind of skeptical about this whole resurrection thing, about these miracles, We're glad you're here. You've come to the right place. Gone are the days of the church shoving out questions and doubts and concerns, knowing that God is big enough to address them. Let's pursue those questions together. Because questions are best pursued in the context of community, never in the context of isolation in a closet with just you and Jesus and your Bible, and you'll figure it out. No, we need each other. The Holy Spirit works in us that way. The second way is to speak boldly. Everybody say, speak boldly. Say it boldly. Yeah, come on. All right, there we go. Speak boldly. 
Jesus preceded the conversation in humility, but quickly transfers to boldness. This is what I love about Jesus, because he's not just this sheep-hugging, you know, gentle, meek, and mild. You always see Jesus you know, he's hugging sheep, you know, with all, 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 the, all these paintings. Jesus got crunk sometimes. He turned over some tables one time, started whipping people and stuff. I mean, it got kind of crazy. And this is only two chapters ago, by the way. You know, so we've already kind of seen that side of Jesus. It's a bold move to bring up the fact that someone's missing the point, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get scared to do that. I talk to a lot of lost people in my community. I talk to a lot of people who um, are not affiliated with church, but not only that, who don't even remotely feel guilty about it and have no more interest in going to church than I have interest in going to a Unicorns Anonymous meeting. <laughs> that doesn't interest me at all. I don't even believe in unicorns. Why, why would I go to that? A relationship might get me there. If I had a friend that loved unicorns, I might go there. That might at least get me there. But they're not interested. It's a bold move to bring up the fact that someone's missing the point. So the woman doesn't even understand the spiritual nature of her need, nor does she understand the gift that Jesus is talking about, nor does she understand who Jesus truly is, his identity. See, she's stuck in the physical. Jesus is trying to get her to the spiritual. Do you see that in the conversation? She's he's like, dude, you didn't even show up with a bucket? For real? <laughs> um, you need a rope? You need some equipment, man. Like, do you not know how this works? Do you even know who Jacob is? Like, he's pretty, he's pretty great. Are, are you greater than, I mean, guys, when you look at these questions, they're, they're, they're pretty condescending. You know, she's just like, who is this guy? What is he doing? And many people today around us in our work, at the coffee shop, at Walmart, wherever you find yourself, have the exact same struggles. And even in church, it's possible, like I said, that some of you have those same misunderstandings not understanding your true spiritual need yet. Let me tell you, everybody in here has real physical needs, real spiritual needs. And I pray that you leave here realizing what those needs are and not only what they are, but how they can be met. And it comes from seeing who Jesus truly is and what he's done. But uh, the biggest story in our Decatur Decatur journey so far is the story of Rudy. I know not all of you have heard that story this morning, but it started with a question. And um, long, long story short, we needed new tires, and I don't know how many of you have been through that, where, like, you know, all, like, your tires blow up and you have to go to the mechanic. Like, that is not a good day right there. And uh, so first thing in the morning, I'm like, man, if I can just get it there at, like, 7, like, early drop off, they'll have it done by lunch, it'll be good. So I go there, get it dropped off, they tell me how much money it's going to be, my mouth hangs open, I put the card in, you know, all, all that good stuff. And I'm not, I'm not having a good day so far, right? You know, it's just, it's just not good. Um, and to be honest with you, I mean, it was so I mean, it was so early in my day. Like, I mean, I just zipped out the door. I was just gonna like take a lift back. You guys know like Lyft, Uber, things things like that. So I was I was just gonna take a lift back to the house. It's only a couple miles down. They're like, we'll give you a free ride. I said you will. I said yeah. You just paid us hundreds of dollars. We'll give you a free ride. So comes this truck. They said Rudy will pick you up. I said Rudy. All right. Rudy's gonna pick me up. So I get in the truck with Rudy, and uh, Rudy and I get to talking, and we you know we. Pushed through a small talk. He asked what I did. I told him I was a pastor. That's what he did. He's a student. He's about to graduate. He's going from school. He's a mechanic, obviously. He's fixing my car. And we um, get to this point in the conversation. He goes, he goes, hey, so you're a pastor. I said, yeah. He's like, I got a question for you. I'm like, you do? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Problem evil. Uh, 
how can a loving God send people to hell? You know, like I'm, I'm just getting all these questions in my, you know, like apologetics 101. You know, like I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, you know, we're going to talk about uh, this or that. He said, how do you hear from God? I was like, man, that's a, man, that's a great question. I'm so glad. You know, I'm like, man, this is great. You know, and he's like, because I've been trying to hear from God for quite some time. I feel like he's been trying to speak to me, and I don't know what it is. Can you tell me how to hear from God? I was like, you bet I can. Yeah, sure, sure. This, right, right here. It's his microphone into our hearts. It's his voice into our lives, and God speaks to us and calls us home, and we begin to talk about the gospel. He began to share with me very transparently about how he'd run from God, and he knew he needed to be back near God. He just didn't know how. There's just all these hoops, and like, what do I do? It's church. What process? What sacrament? What do I need to, you know, what do I need to do? And we talked about faith and repentance. We talked about belief and repent. And Tabor, my wife, who's here this morning, she, she's just seeing me in the driveway in a truck with a man she doesn't know. And, and we're sitting like still, you know, talking to each other. And she can't really tell what's going on. She's like, he's been out there for like 20 minutes. I don't know what's going on in that truck out there. But what was going on in that truck was Rudy was giving his life to Christ. And he came to Jesus. And he's saved now and invited me to his college graduation. He's come to our missional community. And we still talk every week. We still, and he's still journeying with us, and I have a feeling he'll be a part of our church plant. Uh, you know, selfishly, I hope, because I love Rudy. You know, he's just a great guy, and um, he is so on fire for the Lord. It's just, it's just amazing to see, but it all started with a question. all started with a question. Let, let me ask you this morning, and just being honest in church. We're in church, you know, so we've got to be honest. Um, we should be honest all the time, but especially that we're in church. What do you do when people ask you questions like that? Furthermore, what do you do when the skeptical questions come? How does it make you feel? You know how it makes me feel sometimes, if I'm being honest with you? Angry. How dare you ask that, you know? Sometimes it makes me scared. I don't really know how to answer that. By the way, that's one of the best responses you can give if you don't know. And sometimes it's the best response you can give because it shows someone who has these questions, whoa, they have questions just like I do. Actually, the best way to answer if you don't know is I don't know, but let's find out together. Okay? Rudy came to Jesus asking questions. The woman is the same way. She asks these questions. Let us not be afraid to answer them when we have the opportunity, whether we know the answer or not. The third way is to speak graciously. Let's take a look at this passage again in verses 11 and 15, to speak graciously. Jesus responds graciously to her skepticism. It says, if you knew the gift of God, who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. She responds with the host of other questions, like we said, and Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. By the way, my favorite word in that passage, uh, in that, sorry, in that verse is everyone. I love the word everyone there, because Jesus says, anyone can drink this water. Whoever drinks the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. That water will well up into eternal life. He speaks graciously. He doesn't body slam her when she asks these questions skeptically, even kind of mildly condescendingly. He doesn't just undercut her argument and cut her down and show her how he's right. No, he just, he, he responds so graciously. And, um, you know, he, he does a few things here. Well, let's, just, let's just kind of unpack this. Jesus emphasizes the inclusivity of the gospel. You know what that means? The gospel's for anyone no matter what you've done, everyone, whoever, the inclusive. He also emphasizes the exclusivity of the gospel, though. The gospel is exclusive. 
it is whoever drinks this living water. So that's the beauty of the gospel. It's as inclusive as you can imagine, but the road is narrow. Jesus said in John 14, later on in the same book, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus does approach both the inclusivity and exclusivity of the gospel in the most perfect way. But Jesus also emphasizes, guys, this, this, this one's huge, the sufficiency of the gospel. The gospel is sufficient. You know what that means? It's enough. It's enough. The line will never be thirsty again in this passage. It's sufficient. It lasts. Jesus is enough for any of us, even the outcast. What we long for in social acceptance and circumstantial peace, we gain a hundredfold in being justified and being made right with God. And Jesus emphasizes also, lastly, the, the efficiency of the gospel. The water I will give in him will become in him that spring of water welling up to eternal life. The sufficiency, it's enough. The efficiency, it works perfectly. It's efficient. And the amazing thing about the blood of Jesus, he keeps on saving. So you don't have to show up every single Sunday and get resaved every week. I got I to gotta jump through those hoops again, man. I hope I've racked up enough brownie points with God because he's angry. And I owe him a big debt, and I've got to make sure I've racked up enough cash to pay the bill on Sunday. So that's how I grew up my life for 20 years. Let me tell you where that leaves you. Hopeless, doubtful, and it leaves you, um, man, like the level of guilt that I felt in those days. I knew my sin was bad. I knew I didn't need to be doing the stuff I was doing. I just didn't know how to change it. I, I'd already tried behavioral modification. Don't do it. It's bad. Okay, I'll try. Never worked. You know what changed my life? When I realized that Jesus had already done the work. <laughs> when I knew it didn't depend on me to pay him back anymore. Oh, my gosh. It was the most amazing thing ever. I felt so, and that made me want to obey He's done that for me? Oh, my God, anything, any, anything you ask, I will do it. That's what should drive our obedience. It's not guilt. Guilt's a terrible motivator. I don't know if we figured that out yet in life. Uh, it's a terrible motivator. just beats you up. The great motivator is grace. Amen? Grace is a wonderful, beautiful motivator. And Jesus does a few things here. Let's go to number four. So not only do we speak graciously, but we also speak truthfully. Everybody say truthfully. Everybody say truth. Everybody say, you can't handle the truth. Because it's just fun to say that. <laughs> I'm not sure any of you have ever shouted that in church before. But we're in a movie theater, so we've got to quote a movie, right? So there we go. And Jesus was full of two things. He's full of grace and truth. John 1.14b, right? Grace and truth are two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. We cannot have one without the other. It's just like an ink pen, right? If you think about an ink pen, the outer casing, the first thing people see with the ink pen that's the grace. That's the grace that we offer. It's what you hold. It's the first thing people encounter. It's the weight that we feel when we speak. We offer grace. But the point, the inside of the pen that we communicate with is the truth. That point's sharp, isn't it? Hurts if you use it wrongly. You can't communicate without it. Take the truth out of that pen. It's just plastic. It's fake. Grace and truth. And Jesus speaks truthfully. 
He spoke plainly about sin, which is massively unpopular nowadays. 16 through 18, check it out. Go call your husband. Come here. Woman answers him, I have no husband. Said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you've actually had five husbands. The one you have now is not even your husband. What you say is true. This is, this, this is a pretty intense part of the conversation. And when we speak up, when we love others enough to tell them the truth, there will be a tension point. But the goal is never to offend someone. Hear me this morning. The goal is never to offend. Truth offends by itself. If you've been in the darkness long enough, you turn on that light, ouch, turn it off. It hurts. But light brings life, doesn't it? So at first it hurts a little bit, but we don't go trying to offend. See, that's where we got it wrong sometimes. We make the signs, we write it in blood red, go stand on the corner, ah, you know, and we hold it up. That'll show them. No, grace and truth, grace and truth. But let us not go on with any kind of nonsense about the fact that we can just show grace and people will figure out the truth. That's a terrible way to minister to someone. In fact, that, that act in itself is damning. It is damning to say, I'm just going to be all grace. God will will show them the truth. No, God wants to use you to show them the truth. You have a Bible. You can flip to a pet. You can show them the truth. He has given us the test. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples. So he's already put the ball in our court and said, look, I'm going to be the power. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to sustain you. But you're going to go and do this. And we get to experience it. Oh, my goodness. When we work with the Father, Jesus says later on in this passage, he says, my food is to do the will of the Father. That's what I eat. That's what's for breakfast, the will of God. You know, one of my favorite things about being a dad, I love having my son involved with what I'm doing. I don't always love how long it takes to do the things when I involve him. (laughs) Hand him a rake. Son, help me. You know, he's like, what's your? You know, he's like playing Jedi Wars, and I'm like, no, rake the leaves, you know, and he's off, you know, and kicking trees and like making a mess, you know, and I'm like, but I love when he's involved with me. Yeah, I could do it easier without him. I could do it quicker. I don't need him, but I want him because he's my son. Speak truthfully. Let us not ever say, that we love someone if we are not willing to share the truth with them. That is not love. That is actually operating out of fear. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says what? God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound judgment. So Jesus does this. He also does some other things that we don't have time to unpack fully this morning. He speaks plainly about her doctrinal deficiency. She's trying to lecture Jesus about worship. This is a hilarious picture. You know, someone trying to lecture God about, like, where worship's going to happen and all the doctrinal ins and outs of, like, Jews and Samaritans. And there's some amazing backstory here. I really would encourage you to, if you have, like, a study Bible, like, read your uh, commentary notes about this. It's really kind of neat to see the full picture of this. But uh, I sat next to this guy on a plane to Raleigh last weekend. I got to speak at uh, the church that Robbie grew up at, uh, Robbie's youth pastor, Alex, uh, back in the day. Uh, I got to do a dean out there. It was an amazing opportunity to minister uh, to a place that I know is special to him and to a family special to him. And this guy named Mark sat next to me on the plane, Mark. And uh, he comes in, he's the last one. 
you know, so it was just amazing how it worked out. We're both in the back, like, you know, cattywampus from each other right there. We're right next to the engines, though. So we're like, hey, Mark, how's it going? You know, so I'm sure everybody heard the gospel, like, on the plane, you know, which is great. I mean, it could have, could have been some intentionality in that, uh, but I wasn't really thinking about it. But, uh, but we were just uh, sitting there talking. I listened to him talk about his life for about 30 minutes. Um, some things uh, were very interesting and some things weren't. Um, you know, I mean, we just, we just, you know, we just have to listen, guys. But listen with the heart that cares about people. And, yeah, sometimes, like, they're going to start going, you know, someone's going to go on a tangent about something that doesn't always make sense. Um, but you love them enough to keep listening. And I kept listening, kept listening, and then eventually he just said, and you know what, man, I'm just trying to live a good life. Just trying to do the best I can. Just trying to spiral upward. Just trying to ascend higher on my spiritual journey. You know, just some vague generalities about, you know, spiritual stuff. And I had a choice. See, what, what, what modern evangelism would say, what this modern uh, uh, truthless evangelism would, would say is, um, you know what, man? That's great, Mark. Keep doing good. Keep ascending your spiritual ladder. Keep it up, man. At least that makes you happy. But I had an opportunity to say, you know what, man? I've been there. Because God knocked on my heart and said, hey, it's time to speak humbly. I've been there. Speak boldly now. And I saw that that led me to feel empty because I kept trying to send that same ladder too for 20 years. Let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Speak graciously. He gave me grace. He forgave me when I realized it's all him, that I don't have to work, uh, you know, that I work out my salvation in fear and trembling, not work for my salvation in fear and trembling. And then speak truthfully. And man, that's made all the difference in my life. And I invite you to that same life, Mark, because I'll tell you what, where you're headed, it gets exhausting. And do you know on a human level how insecure I felt in that moment? I'm 30. This guy's like probably anywhere from 58 to 63. You know, so he's lived you know, twice as long as I have. He's seen a lot more life than I have. Uh, but God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, power, love, and sound judgment. And you know what he said at the end? You know, he didn't give his life to Christ on the plane. I, pr- I pray that we get to cross paths again. I got his card in my wallet still. And I'm planning on texting this week and encouraging Mark. Uh, but he said, man, you know what? I've never talked with anybody about that stuff before. So like, I've never even had a conversation like that. He's like, thanks. I could just tell. It just, it, God just completely rocked his world. And you know what it was? It was the truth. It was the truth. Truth is who Jesus is. He's the way, the truth, the life. Make no mistake, we cannot be the love of God in this world without speaking truthfully. The last way to speak redemptively. This is where we'll end today. Let's go ahead and have the band come back up uh, as I unpack this for us. This is all about the gospel. Guys, the woman believes, spoiler alert, end of the story, because we didn't cover the whole passage today, but she believes. She repents. And you know what? More people get saved because she got saved. She was faithful in telling other people. She gives them definitely the condensed version of the testimony because no, you know, I mean, you know, you can be sure the testimony was longer than look at the man who told me everything I ever did. But she began to unpack how Jesus is the Messiah. And when we speak up, especially to those around, especially maybe to those who are quite different than us, because you know what we tend to do? We tend to flock people who are just like us. 
You know, a lot of church planners do, and I begin to feel conviction about this. When I begin to look at my city, I begin, man, am I just going to go there and try to reach 30-somethings with kids? Or am I going to open up my home to the Donalds who have lost their wife in the past five years? The Beverly's who have been through divorce and, and ugly things in her life. The, the Bruce's who's 65, has battled homelessness for years, been in and out of homelessness, and works full-time at Papa John's trying to scrape by. Will I open up my life to these people? Will I open up my home? Will I invite them to Christmas morning at our place? Will I share my life, share my family with them? See, God wants to use you to speak redemptively to someone's life. You know what redemptively means? It means full of redemption. It means to take what's wrong and make it right, to take what's broken and make it whole, because that's what God does. Day in and day out, he does not sleep, amen? Tirelessly works at this gospel of redemption. He's doing the work. The word does the work, and it's our responsibility to share the word. And did the woman give a theological seminar on how Samaritans have been worshiping? on No, she told her story to people. God wants you to tell your story to someone this week, Christian in the room. But if you're not a Christian, you're here, or if you don't know where you stand with God, can I just tell you that there is hope in this place? And I'd love to invite you to a time this morning where, um, where you can actually pray this prayer right, right where you sit. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes real quick? And if you need to get things right with God this morning, I want to invite you to a prayer that basically does three simple things. You confess to God that you have sinned before him, that there are commandments that he has has told us, he's told us things to do and to not do. And we have broken, if we've even broken one, we've broken them all. And we stand before God separated from him because of sin. And so we just tell him, God, I'm a sinner. I realize I'm broken. And the second thing is, God, I want to be made whole. Would you forgive me of my sin? And the third thing is this, that you say, I turn away from my sin and I pursue you. Lord of my life, Jesus. And not only that, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. So let me just lead you through that prayer. If that's you, if you need to pray to God this morning, and if you need to give your life and heart to Jesus, then let me lead you through this prayer. Say, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short of what you have asked in my life. But right now I ask for your forgiveness in your grace. And I believe that when you died on the cross, you paid for my sin. And I thank you for that. I also believe that you rose again from the dead. And that you did that to show that you are who you are. That you are God. I turn from my sin and I live your way now. Not my own way but your way. Help me have the faith to believe. In Jesus' name, I pray.